That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. My name is Jake Wilson, and my dilemma is I've battled about a couple weeks in North Carolina and have yet to really enjoy a southern thunderstorm. So I need to have at least that satisfaction if I'm going to put up with the rest of the heat. All right, Jake, this is, uh, as, as dilemmas go, not too bad of one. But I understand if it's 100 plus degrees every day, sometimes you want a little bit of a break. And if you've been promised thunderstorms, you want thunderstorms. Now, I can't make the thunder come. Unfortunately, I am not in charge of the weather. If I was, I wouldn't have sat through a 105 heat index Cubs game on Saturday. I might have dialed it down a couple degrees. But I can tell you this. If you look on the positive side, if you have any animals, thunderstorms are really stressful. They bark at the booms of the thunder. They hide under things. Sometimes they don't want to go outside to use the bathroom because they don't want to get rained on. So you find random piles of poop in the hallway of your house. So on the positive side, if you have any animals, you've really avoided all of that. Also, flooding. Flooding's terrible. And I don't know where you're staying, but if there's a basement, you might be in charge of helping bail out all the buckets full of water and, and you know, lug furniture that's been ruined out to the street. So you saved yourself the manual labor of that. Um, you know, and other than that, I would say some people don't like thunderstorms. They're dangerous. You get hit by lightning, could cause damage to your car and your house and everything else. So maybe your dilemma is not, in fact, that you've missed out on a thunderstorm. It's that you're looking at things the wrong way. There, I fixed it. The commission has spoken. <laughs> My guest this week is Jake Olson, former USC football long snapper. He lost his eyesight to cancer at age 12 and has great stories and really insightful stuff to say about what it was like to find out at 12 that he would be going blind, how he came around to the idea and decided to uh, continue with sports, how to look at the world differently, and uh, now has just recently graduated USC and started a company with a fellow student called Engage that is a booking platform for talent and speakers also has his own foundation, and uh, is trying to continue on as a golfer. So we had a great conversation, and uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Lots of funny stuff in there involving tricking a friend with a fake eyeball. <laughs> um, how he reacted when USC doctors didn't want to clear him for contact. Times that his teammates would actually forget that he was blind and leave him out on the field. <laughs> and, and also some important stuff for us all to hear, stuff that he wishes we all knew about blind people and how to interact with blind people if it's not something that we've done before. So I hope you will like this conversation with Jake Olson. That's what she said. So I love when those questions at the end of the podcast, who should I have on the pod, uh, come to fruition and I follow up and manage to get that person. And when I had Shelly Smith on a couple months ago, she said, you have to talk to Jake Olson. And of course, most of us have probably seen Shelly's great coverage on Jake, the former USC long snapper who lost his eyesight to cancer at age 12. But for those of you who haven't heard his story, this is going to be great. And those who have lots of updates on what he's up to now and uh, and what's next for him. So, Jake, I'm so glad you could make the time to do this. Um, and let's let's assume that people haven't heard your story. Let's go all the way back to growing up in California. What kind of kid were you? Yeah, no, thanks for having me, you know, first. But, uh, you know, I grew up just as a, uh, a normal kid in Huntington Beach, California. Um, you know, I was, was uh, before I could remember, I was diagnosed with a rare form of eye cancer called retinoblastoma, and it, it took my left eye at an early age. But, uh you know, as a little kid, you don't really realize necessarily that you can only see out of one eye, and I, I did see out of my, my right eye, and so I just kind of did everything, I guess, uh, a normal kid would have done. I really enjoyed playing sports and kind of went through the cycle of football and basketball and even water polo and soccer and baseball and just, you know, pretty much everything, and, um, you know, just was just trying to have fun and Throughout, you know, then most of my childhood, I started realizing I was a little different in that I take, you know, visitations to the hospital pretty frequently to combat my cancer that ended up, you know, by the age of 12, returning for eight times. And so it was a lot of different treatments that I had to go through as a kid, you know, to get the cancer to go away for momentarily and then. Once it came back, you know, get to go through that whole process again. So, 
by that standard, it was a little different. But, again, I definitely love being a normal, fun kid, going to birthday parties, playing sports, doing well in school, and just enjoying everything about being a, uh, a free kid. So a lot of people talk about how for adults it's very painful to see kids going through things because it feels especially unfair. Nobody wants to be battling an illness or cancer, but it feels feels especially unfair when kids should be out playing and stuff. But people also talk about how resilient kids are. Really, they don't know any better, right? You're so young that you haven't lived life without some of these things uh, that you're fighting. Uh, What was that like for you? Did you... Was it sort of just a, well, this is what I do. Like when things get bad, I go to the hospital. Things get better, I get to yeah, leave yeah, and repeat. I mean, it, it, it's just kind of, it was the normal, you know, it was like it was the norm for me. So, yeah, no, I definitely think that had to do with, with some of it. I Again, I as a kid, I remember, you know, I have a twin sister named Emma, and uh, we'd go to the ocularist, you know, who makes the, you know, the fake eyes. And so I was getting, you know, again, I lost my left eye at one years old, sorry, and, had you know a fake left eye growing up and so i'd I'd go there and when when you grow obviously your your fake eye doesn't grow with you so you have to get it resized and stuff um as you know your face grows and so especially as a kid you you visit there i don't know every six months or so and um i remember like emma she'd always be there like i would be like five or six years old like when when is she gonna take out my mom like am i next and like as kids you know you, you just I guess, you know, you just don't really, I guess, get it. That You know, for me, I just thought your eyes came out, you know. You just go to the doctor and they take out your eyes and they polish them and put them back in, you know. So I, I, definitely it's, there's there's an innocence there that, you know, I think makes it a lot easier in that you just you are going through it and, yes, it's tough and, yes, it, it sucks being sick and going through some of that stuff. But, you know, you're also just going through it, you know, you don't, necessarily know anything different and i think that that comes with a lot of uh a lot of peace as weird as it sounds what was it like when you were a kid fighting that stuff uh to have a fake eye i mean kids are cruel even if they are are kind of it have it explained to them why something is going on it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be kind about it did you struggle with that growing up um not too much not too much I, i i had a really good group of friends i mean um you know there's there's definitely times where not necessarily. I mean, the fake eye looks, you know, it looks just as real as the other one. So I don't think anyone really could have, you know, made a difference. I, I like to have fun with it. I, I would, uh, again, you know, you had you had extra processes around. So I would remember this one kid, this poor kid. I think I was like in second grade or third grade. I like brought for show and tell like one of my fake eyes, and I pretended <laughs> at, at recess to like. On my left eye, I pretended like my eye fell out, and I had it in the palm of my hand. I like, covered my eye. I'm like, oh my gosh, my eye just fell out. And this kid like went in the bathroom and threw it out. Yeah, wow. so that's pretty funny. But uh, but I mean, you know, the, I think that more of the tough times are just because depending on what treatment I was going through with my right eye. I mean, you know, I had pretty pretty high prescription glasses. You know, I'd wear all the time and. At nighttime, it was kind of hard for me to see. I mean, like I said, there were my eyesight in my right eye, even though I had it, wasn't perfect by any means. And so, you know, there'd be times where maybe I'll play laser tag or do some things where I just couldn't participate necessarily. Um, and so, no one, I, you know, I didn't deal with bowling a lot, but, you know, there's definitely those times where you just can't participate with your friends and what they're doing and you wish you could. And so, you, you know, sometimes you can feel left out. Yeah. So let's talk about um, you're 12 years old and it becomes clear that um, your good eye, your remaining eye that works, is also going to have to be removed. What was your biggest worry at that age when you were told that you would become blind? Uh, well, my biggest worry was, I mean, it was, it was like, honestly, so, I mean, you know, the decision was there in that, I mean, they they said the treatment wouldn't work and, you know, you'd be rolling the dice with it spreading. So, I mean, that, that was kind of a concern of like, okay, well, I don't want this cancer, I guess, spreading. Um, but at the same time, I don't feel blind. So, you know, that was kind of a concern. But, I mean, I just, since it came back so many times and every time, we you know, we had an answer and we could do something about it, like it just was, it kind of came as a complete shock, as weird as that sounds. Um, you know, obviously I, I lost my left eye to it, but that's because we found it late. And since, you know, I was being monitored all the time as a kid, you know, it wasn't ever going to be that, 
scenario again where we found it late and we, we didn't have an option. I thought there's always going to be an option. So by the time, you know, they, they told me there's no more options. I mean, it was kind of a shock. You know, I just was like, wait, I thought, I thought this wasn't ever going to be my reality because we were constantly, you know, checking and fighting. So that was, you know, a, kind of a, a weird part of the deal. But I mean, mostly it was just kind of the, at first and for most part, I mean, it just was kind of the sadness of, looking around and kind of realizing this life isn't going to necessarily be the same and that I'm not going to be actually able to, you know, see this anymore. And that included, you know, my parents' faces and just the beauty of the world and like other things were just like, wow, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, you know, relearn how to have to get around with a cane and, and learn Braille. And it's just like, it was just, was a lot of uncertainty with, everyday activities I was doing with my eyes and all of a sudden now you're going to have to do this without your eyes, which is a totally different way. But, you know, the point is there was a way and so it was kind of all right, <laughs> life's going to move on so I better better learn these these different ways of doing it. Otherwise, you know, I'll be, uh, I'll be left out and that's not what I definitely, I didn't want to uh, to let, you know, my circumstances or just the fact I had to alter my way of doing things to cost me my joy and you know love for life yeah um let's talk about you know the sports side of things what what were your worries about being able to still compete or play things when you when you uh when you were going blind you know it was a big concern i mean you know i, I was kind of at that point seventh grade i was down to kind of basketball um football and, and golf were kind of the, the three I really liked. And so it was in the fall, of course, is you know, you saw that the first piece when I was 12. So it happened when I was in the fall. And so I was, I was in the middle of football season. And so that's kind of the first thing I wanted to, to deal with. And that was just learning how to continue to play center for my flag football team. And I did that and played even my eighth grade year. And so, I mean, it was, that was fun, you know, it was just something I, I knew I could do of just getting the ball back there with, you know, just one hand as a center would snap to the quarterback and so that was fun, but again it wasn't that competitive tackle football. It wasn't necessarily as dangerous as you think you could probably get. So when I went to high school it kind of changed a little bit of what I thought I could and could not do. So right. and then the other thing was golf. I mean golf was a big uh sport, you know, I love playing golf with my dad and it just was I remember going out there the first time after I found out I was going to lose my sight and I was closing my eyes and trying to hit the ball and I just I couldn't make contact I'm like oh gosh like <laughs> here we go with this like I, I don't right. know how I'm going to continue to play this sport that I I love and so you know it was, it was frustrating and it was back to square one after I lost my sight it really was I mean it was just trying to make solid contact again on every swing and um, but again you know you learned a way and, and fought through that and developed a swing that that worked and, um, you know, really started becoming even a better golfer than I ever was and just learning the swing mechanics and really the intricacies of golf, you know, at a, at a different level because it was how I was going to, you know, become good at the game again. So you have this great experience with um, Pete Carroll and the USC football team and you actually see them the day before the surgery. You go visit them after the surgery do you think that that experience and that relationship with Pete Carroll ultimately kept you interested in playing football bef- without even knowing that eventually it would lead to a spot at USC? Or do you think that there was a part of you that was going to find a position that worked regardless of, of whether you'd had that experience? No, I think, I mean, I, de- I definitely think it boosts my, my love for the game. I mean, I, was, I grew up a huge USC fan, but also just a football fan. And I think, yeah, being part of that really did just cement that love for the game and you know kind of put football even at a different level in my life and that it's it can be used for much more than happiness on Saturdays or, or sadness depending on what yeah, how your on team goes but, yeah. uh, but um but no I mean I, I think we're we're coach Carroll and that team you know really they they, they really brought me the, an enormous sense of joy and peace and a really hard time but you know from a sense of just coach Carroll I mean to be around a guy like that who preaches, you know, always compete and win forever and, you know, that ability to inspire his players and just people around him with that positive energy and 
challenging them to compete regardless of what the situation is. Um, I mean, that, that stuck with me as a 12-year-old who was entering this phase where I did have a choice to continue to compete or not and to find a way or not. And so, you know, being around that energy, I think, really helped me a lot, you know, and uh, to get, kind of get back on that horse and just say, okay, you know what, like I've, I've heard this from Coach Carroll, I'm going to go out there and, and continue to compete as well. We'll be right back with more That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. You guys have to check out Women of Marvel. It's the place to hear from women making waves in comics, pop culture, entertainment, and beyond. This official Marvel podcast is hosted by Marvel's own Sanaa Amanit and Judy Stevens, who have over 25 years of working at Marvel between them. They chat with people from all backgrounds who have inspiring stories to tell. Their guests go beyond the Marvel Universe and include actors like Darcy Carden, Gillian Jacobs, and Tati Gabrielle. You can find Women of Marvel every other Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's what she said. So take us through uh, learning how to be a long snapper, because, I mean, obviously uh, the motion isn't going to be tricky, but how are you being reinforced about whether it was good or bad and where it went and whether you did, whether you did it right? Yeah, so, I mean, I like I said, I, you know, back to flag football, I, I you know, was able to snap with one hand to my quarterback, it's just like every other center, and I was actually pretty good at it. And so that's why I kind of, in high school, halfway through high school, was like, well, I, I, I knew how to snap to a quarterback, and, you know, I figured I couldn't play center in, in high school just because, you know, you are, are doing some pulls and calling out different coverage. You know, like there, there, there is some sight needed um, to, to play offensive line. So I – but I was like, okay, if I can snap to a quarterback, I could probably snap to a holder. And I went out there and was trying to snap, like, with one hand. And they're like, no, no, like, this is a whole different motion and everything. And then they showed me it, and I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And so <laughs> it, was, it was pretty ugly at first. And, and so I, I remember kind of – it was at the end of spring ball my sophomore year. So, you know, everyone kind of was obviously going summer break, but – this one coach was like, hey, like, if you really want to learn this, you know, we'll have to meet up. So we did. We met up every every day pretty much that summer and um, started really learning what was necessary, doing a bunch of drills. Um, and, you know, it was just with feedback. It was just like, I, I mean, I think partially golf played a, a huge role in me learning the long snap in the sense that my mind was already tapped into that, you know, part where I could feel – things and repeat motions and you know feel what it felt like for a bad snap and for a good snap and just try to you know repeat that over and over and over again and so you know it, it took about a couple months I, you know but getting closer to the season things really started kind of coming together it was like hey you know this kid actually has learned the uh the art of long snapping and so we went to fall camp and i earned my spot and um you know was able to to play in varsity for two years, and that was just an incredible time uh, in high school, just obviously playing the game I loved and out there competing um, at the highest level and just, you know, contributing every Friday night. And so it was, it was you know, it was absolutely a dream come true and was, you know, I, I am so glad I kind of came that realization halfway through, like, hey, man, I'm, I'm not going to look back on high school regretting not playing ball. So I was watching some clips of you uh, snapping in high school. How scary was it to to let the ball fly and not know who's coming at you and when you're going to get hit and from what place? <laughs> um, you know, it was uh, it's not that scary. I mean, like it, it's I don't know. It your your job is to get the ball back there, and I, I mean, I, I'd be much more scared being a tight end or a receiver going over the middle, not you know necessarily <laughs> right. where you know linebacker is. Like I I think. Like, all, all that can really happen is just someone mulls you over. But, I mean, like, you know, they're coming off a line. It's not like they have a huge running start or anything. So I, was, I, I never really worried about that too much. I Like, the only time I ever was a little concerned in the sense of blocking, and long snappers never supposed to, you know, especially on field goal, have a, a huge blocking responsibility. Uh, if anything, it's just kind of almost just trying to get in the way a little get bit. Get in the way, right. <laughs> rush the egg out. You know, it's not like it's a pass blocking for three seconds. But um, I remember playing uh, Long Beach Poly in a playoff game my junior year, and um, and Juju was was on, you know, Poly at the time. And we had a field goal to go up, like, late in the fourth quarter. And so they were going to, you know, rush the heck out of this, this field goal because it, it pretty much was going to cement us the win. And 
so they I mean they put like three or four guys in the A gap like just and Juju was kind of right behind this big guy he's going to try to big guy was trying to move the guard and Juju's going to shoot right through there and try to block it and so the holder was like hey like you're going to actually like like just you know kind of roll to your left and just try to you know cut him or something but um, but I tripped them up and it was good. We, we made the field goal. So it was, it was, it was pretty fun, but that was, uh, that was kind of probably the only time I was a little concerned just because obviously I knew what kind of athlete Juju was and was, you know, kind of high, high pressure, high stakes as well. So I didn't want, I didn't want Juju breaking my dreams at that point. <laughs> um, so you're going through high school, you're adjusting to sort of uh, a new life and, and the things that you have to learn and relearn. Were you often or ever comparing your experience with those who were born without sight? Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a whole different world. I mean, I, I feel very blessed to have seen for 12 years. Um, I said, even, even some of those times it was very limited, but, you know, I, I think just kind of having the ability to understand what things look like and to have, you know, played the sports I, I love with sight and kind of translate that into without sight, you know, I think that, that played a huge role. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know necessarily if I, try to compare i mean at the end of the day i guess if you've seen or you haven't seen if if you can't see or you're not seeing so um but you know i think definitely i i am if not for nothing else you know that i can just you know picture you know a beautiful sunset or you know picture my family's faces you know i think that that goes a long way in just my my mental psyche so yeah for sure um okay so you get to usc uh, you have this unbelievable experience of being given a scholarship and welcomed to the team. It's a, it's an amazing moment. It's obviously almost entirely positive. Was there any part of it that scared you? Was there any criticism from someone who you know wanted us uh, that spot, or 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 was there any part of that that wasn't the dream that we all watched from afar and thought it was? Um, yeah, I mean, it, for, for the most part, I mean, like you know, everyone was very accepting, and like it was, it was awesome. You know, obviously, I knew some of those guys just from being around practices and stuff um, as I was, you know, going up through high school. And so, you know, I think uh, from a standpoint, like from a, my teammates and the coaches, I mean, it was just kind of like, okay, you know, if, like everyone, a lot of them probably never been around a blind person, so just kind of getting past that first of just, hey, like, how do, like, what, how do I interact? Like, do I go up and say hi? Do I have to introduce myself every time? Like, you know, just things like that where people just don't know, and then beyond that just like okay and, and what can he do as a football player so i think like anyone out there once you start you know proving yourself and playing out there and practicing and showing what you can do i mean people you know you earn people's respect and people are kind of like, you know hey this guy's normal i mean i, I think the only thing that kind of made me mad through the whole process which you know was kind of was 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 not you know sark or helton's kind of even responsibility with that was just i remember it kind of got there and you know, I came in at 182 or whatever, and you know uh, the head head doctor at USC was kind of saying how they didn't know if you know they want they wanted me out there in contact, and they were afraid I was going to get hurt and everything. I'm like, no, say about that or anyone who who wants to put put on the helmet and play football. You know, I don't want to be any different. Um, right. So they were kind of really really careful with me at first so that's why i went ahead and i was like you know what if, if you guys are going to take this attitude i'm just going to become the strongest specialist out there and so that's you know i i did i you know put on 45 pounds of muscle and wanted to pass the eye test and like if, if you if you want to come out publicly and say i can't take contact i want people to look at me and be like uh have you seen them so that's what <laughs> i kind of tried to do and and so um you know i i remember that that was kind of frustrating and just you know, still kind of pushing past those boundaries of like, hey, you know, I know I can't see, but I want to take this risk like any other football player does, and, you know, I have the ability to, and so just, you know, just kind of pushing through those walls. And they never were willing to clear you for contact, right? Technically, no. Um, I, You know, I remember, like, as the practices went on, I mean, like I said, you know, people figure out like this kid's normal like you know we don't have to treat him so I mean you know even though I had that yellow jersey on at practice I mean they would you know start to rush a little bit which I I begged them to I mean I, I told the guys like hey man like I don't you know if you guys want to come at this like come at this like I, I, I don't need to be treated differently and um and definitely I think you know at the end there my, my last um somebody's you know I mean they came a little bit so I mean like I, I think definitely if if time would have progressed more I mean like I 
I would have I would have at least tried to finesse it a little more for them to come because again I I don't want to be you know different in that sense. So. Right. So I hate being uh, out of control. I I have trouble asking for help. I tried to do my own laundry when I tore my Achilles and I uh, like basically broke my other ankle falling down the stairs. So it's you know it's tough. You have to get used to being willing to ask for help. And for you, um, you know, you were young enough at twelve to sort of learn. But you get to college. And you want to be the same as everyone else, but it does require help from your teammates and coaches to get you in the mm-hmm. right position, to get you on and off the field. Um, were there ever moments where the guy you're supposed to depend on and you are fighting over something and, and you both got to suck it up? Um, like, what you mean, like, if, like, you know, my, like my teammates ever left me somewhere or something? Well, yeah, like I always think about uh, the 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 foreign-born baseball players who have one translator, and I'm like, what if they hate each other? What if, like, <laughs> they can't talk to anyone except for that one guy, and what if that guy sucks? So I'm like, what no, if, what if, like, you got in a fight with the dude who's supposed to, like, you know, you put your hand on his shoulder and he runs you out, and he's like, you know what? Maybe today you trip. No, no, I mean, you know, like, I think the beautiful thing is, like, I have a great sense of humor, and I think, you know, a lot of people, my teammates, like, I think if we always joked if there was an ex-camera crew following us, like, we would be hated by America, just some of the stuff that they would do to me and stuff, like, not but, PC. Like, it's all fun and games, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, um, but I think what's really cool, too, is, and I, I always joke about this, so I take it as a, a, a major compliment, is that, you know, sometimes they would leave me, like, they'd run off the field if we're done, and, like, I'd kind of like yell at them, like, hey, guys, like, let me run it with you or whatever. But, I mean, it's just because they, they forgot I'm blind. Like, that's just the point of the fact is, like, I, you see me as a normal guy out there, and it's not like they're always constantly, we're like, oh, man, we got to, you know, we have to make sure Jake, you know, is every step he knows where he's going, like, because otherwise he'd just be this lost, you know, clown out here. Like, no, like, I'm very, <laughs> very independent out there. So I, I totally understand why, um, you know, they forget I'm blind sometimes or, I remember when I'd be warming up and throwing the ball. Like some, it happened a couple of times where they would just throw the ball back at me because they're just not thinking. Like this guy just throwing the ball to me, I'm just gonna throw it back to him. And it's just like, yeah, it hits me in my face and doesn't feel too good. But again, I'm not getting mad. That's just like I understand. It's it just comes with uh, with the fact of I'm doing something that's normal, and they just sometimes forget. And so that's yeah, a uh, compliment. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, yeah, you mentioned your sense of humor. So, uh, you did the bird box challenge, which was great. Uh, you went on GMA. You were talking about Tiger Woods reaching out to you about golf. You said you'd take him on any time of night, which is great. Uh, how, how have you always had this sense of humor or, or early on? Was it, was it tough to you for you to find, for find the laugh in your situation? No, I was always a positive kid and always, always had a sense of humor. I think, uh, I definitely think somewhere around that 12 or 13 age and maybe just natural progression of life, but I definitely became a little more of a smart ass, I think. Uh, so <laughs> I, I uh, you know, I was a, a really, you know, sweet guy, kid. I'm, I'm still a sweet guy. Just, I think like that kind of, that real sense of humor started to develop, you know, probably after I lost my sight. Um, but, you know, I, one of my favorite quotes, it's not my favorite quote in life is, you can't take life too seriously or you'll never make it out alive. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I, how I take it. You know, you, you, you really can. I mean, you, you gotta laugh about it. You gotta have fun with situations and, you know, can't, you really can't take things too seriously. Otherwise, otherwise you won't make it out alive. And so that's, that's how I kind of take a lot of frustrations and, and obviously there's serious times and there's times to, to feel mad and sad about things. But for the most part, I always really try to, remind myself what I still do have in life and also just, you know, the fun, fun things I can poke at when I, uh, when, when, when misfortunes do happen. So have you ever used it to your advantage in maybe a slightly mischievous way, right? You said you're kind of a smart ass. Have you ever either feigned not being able to do something that you could cause you didn't feel like doing it or maybe, <laughs> maybe get someone to give you something or do something for you based on, uh, you know, playing a little game with them? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, it definitely definitely goes a little both ways. No, I, you, you have to have fun. I definitely, um, I don't know, like it's it, it's it's a double edged sword because I mean, like you know, when people do kind of, for instance, you know, like at TSA, like you know, I, I could definitely stand in the full TSA line and and go through. I mean, I don't need to have the shortcut, but like, hey, if you're gonna give me the shortcut, I guess I'll take it. You know, but. Right. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, like, I don't know, because it, it, it is, like I said, it's a double-edged sword where I appreciate, you know, the consideration of, of 
you know, having that, you know, special treatment. But at the same time, like, I do get kind of bothered when people take it to the extreme where, you, like, they really think I need to have my hand held in, in like, almost everything I do. And it's like, well, wait a second. Like, actually, no, I, like, I, I don't want you to think, like, I'm somehow incapable of standing in this line for a half hour. <laughs> like, I, I can't do that. Yeah, you know, I had Jason Benetti on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He's uh, he's on the call for the Chicago White Sox, and he has cerebral palsy. And he talked about this difficult balance of, obviously, he understands when people want to help him, but it also takes him out of of his own head where he doesn't even remember or notice that he's different, right? And so every right. time he's walking through an airport doing just fine and someone stops and asks if he wants a cart or something else, he's remi- he's reminded that people see him as different. How do you right. balance that where you know people are doing it out of the goodness of their heart and they do think they want to help with maybe the frustration of being like, I can do this, like, I'm I, I'm fine? Well, you know, I, I, I think it would be kind of silly to get frustrated at a person, you know, with good intentions just to, you know, who wants to help. But, I mean, I think it's just a, a good time to either educate them of like, hey, you know, actually, you know, I'm good. I mean, you can take a step further and be like, you know, I have my guide dog here and this is how I use him and he can, you know, guide me here or, you know, thank you so much or whatever. Um, so, you know, that's that's how I would kind of, how I kind of dress it, just having people educating them when I when they get the chance and thanking them because, you know, I'm a, I'm a blind person who may not need that service at the time, but, you know, the next guy who comes may, may need it. So, I, I you know, I don't want to ever kind of tell someone either, like, you know, blind people don't need this because you know, I don't want to speak for all blind people. So <laughs> right, right. Uh, what do you want people to know? People who maybe don't have a lot of experience um, interacting with or being around b- blind people. What are some of the basics that you wish everybody knew? Um, well, I mean, you know, for the most part, I mean, it's like everyone else in a sense. Like, you know, we love to have fun and joke around. So, you know, I think a lot of people don't know necessarily how to approach it and like say hi. I, you know, like, does he gonna know I'm out shaking my hand you know you can tell them like here let me shake your hand you know just be kind of more descriptive and like give me a high five you know things like that where you let you're letting on to kind of what you what you want um but i think like the big thing for me and i kind of learned this going into high school is that especially in like a a crowded room or a busy place um you know not necessarily can ever i make eye contact with someone across the room and like wave them over and say hi or you know kind of uh make make that first interaction that way so like for in times like those like i love it when people actually do come up and like say hi and shake my hand like actually make the first move because you go i i can't necessarily make that first move if i don't know first off who you are or even if you're in the room or not so i think that's like something like people to realize just like hey if you do see like someone and you want to say hi to them like you're not like if you're waiting for them to say hi, like they will probably never say hi because they don't right. know you're there. So right, exactly. make, that, make that first move. <laughs> Same goes for women too, I'm sure, right? <laughs> you're like, you gotta yeah, make exactly. the first move. <laughs> exactly. Um so let's talk about the 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 dream being fulfilled for USC. You're you get to take the field on a fourth quarter extra point against Western Michigan in September of twenty seventeen. Just take me through the emotions and the nerves. I'm guessing of doing that. Yeah, I mean it was it was definitely nerves. I mean, again, when, when I had that ball in my hand, kind of nerves went away a little bit just because I mean I know what I'm doing. So, um, but really, like the more I look back on it, the, I mean, it, it was just was I was just happy. I mean, it really was just a very joyful moment and um, one that I knew had a lot of significance in my life and a lot of people who followed me for a long time and all the Trojan family and, you know, like anyone who's kind of have followed me over the last, you know, what was then, uh, I guess, eight years of my life. And so it was, um, you know, I think it was a special moment for a lot of people, but to be honest, it was just so happy being out there. Like I, I can, I really could have cared less where the, uh, where the snap went. I mean, if it was good or bad, like just being out there. Really? You're not competitive enough that you would have been mad if you were like, oh man, I get him right every time. And this time. I would have been upset, but like, I would have, I would have been upset, but at the same time, like, I don't know. It's just like still being out there. I mean, that's just like, it's it's just a dream come true. And, you know, I knew I put in the work to get out there. And so it's like, that's still coming true. And if you you know, you screw up, you screw up and you, you learn from it and you work harder the next time. But like, I wasn't going, what I'm saying, I wasn't going to let the success of that snap necessarily determine 
just the amount of work it took to get there and you right. know, the courage it took to get out there and just the overall joy of being out there. Like I wasn't going to let that just completely wipe that off the slate. <laughs> it wasn't a good snap. Yeah. Um, have you ever wondered, so I was watching the GMA tape and you know, you snap it. You don't know whether your, your buddy caught it or not. Robin Roberts says, all right, you did your job. You get an A, you know, your buddy, uh, he's, he's fired. Uh, so if, <laughs> that was, if she doesn't, yeah, that was just, that was GMA, GMA, I do not know how they produce that show every day. It is, it is like crazier than a, than a, uh, a wet hen house back in the, in, in backstage. Like there's people running yeah. all over the place. I, I, I didn't even know what was going to go on because they're like, this guy's going to touch your snap. I'm like, oh boy, like this would be interesting. Like, yeah, did they tell the you thing. that the crowd was like inches away from if you had not made a good snap? <laughs> I mean, like, I was watching, I was like, I mean, did they tell him that just to make sure extra careful? Um, but then what if, like, if, if Robin Roberts hadn't said that, would your buddy have just been like, yeah, I caught it. It went great. And you'd never know. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't know what he was saying. So I didn't, I actually, I, again, I didn't know that guy there. Like they, they just brought that guy out. The one who caught it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I yeah, assumed it was like Miranda. your buddy. Yeah. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Like he had never caught one of my snaps before. That's why I was kind of like, like, I was like, this is not going to go well just because like <laughs> it, it takes, I mean, it just takes a little bit to even know kind of how to line up exactly with, you know, right. where, where I'm aiming, you know? And so. Yeah, it was it was funny, man. It was definitely a uh, a trip. So, but I mean, again, I I just kind of I think you look at it slowly. The guy might have broken his finger too. I'm not really <laughs> <laughs> like it, it. It comes off his finger and it like bends it in a really weird way. Yeah, it didn't look good. It did, he didn't look like a pro. I'll say that much. Um, so you first started going and speaking to places, and now you're you're uh, you're you've done hundreds of speeches. But you first did it at age twelve uh, for a Wells Fargo branch. Can you talk about what inspired that first time that you went to go talk? Well, it's just it's kind of based on that first ESPN piece they did, and a group of you know USC guys who kind of held a Wells Fargo managing group, and they um, they just wanted me to kind of come tell my story. So. I, I remember going with my mom. We stayed in a hotel room um, and wrote my speech pretty much that night, kind of night before. Of like, hey, like what? She just kind of asked me, like, what do, what do I want to share? Like, just about your life so so far and what you've learned and you know your aspirations and stuff. And uh, she's got it written somewhere. I, uh, one of these days, I'll go go find it and it'll be interesting to see what, what exactly I I remember saying. But you know, it was it was just um, it was something i felt like i could give back on just because you know i remember you know being obviously around coach carroll or just a couple other people that you know that don't even you know aren't, aren't huge names but just shared went ahead, went ahead and shared their story and yeah. were uh influential and you know again being kind of a, a role model for me and saying you know they can do it i can do it like people have done this before you know it's it's humanly possible so why can't i do it you know and so um it was just ability to give back and just, you know, someone doesn't have to be going through cancer or blindness to be having a hard time in life and facing adversity. So I just was trying to uh, just share my experience and what helped me get through mine. And uh, hopefully people can take from that and be, again, say, like, if Jay can do it, so can I. Yeah. Have you had um, many people after those various speaking engagements reach out to you or any special moments in terms of people that you touched with your speeches? Oh yeah, every time. I mean, every single time. Um, and you know, it's, I just hope to to really move at least one person. But I mean, it's it's a lot. It's uh, you know, you hear a ton of stories of people who cry afterwards and say, "I really needed this." And um, you know, there's every once in a while, there's one who was actually in person who found out they they will have to lose their sight for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always you know special. But I mean, there's there's been a lot of a lot of you know hard ship stories i mean life life's hard and people are going through tough times every single day and uh so you know to to be kind of a source of hope in in some of those people's lives it's a it's a great privilege and honor and um you know i definitely have have talked to to a lot of them and, and heard a lot of things and so it's again it's just a, it's a real blessing that i've been able to to impact people just by doing something i love time for a quick break And then more That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Hiring used to be hard. 
multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash said. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And now my listeners, that's you, can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash said. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash S-A-I-D. ZipRecruiter.com slash said. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. That's what she said. So you graduated from USC in May with a degree in business administration and more so than the average person who already maybe is a little bit fearful about what the quote unquote real world holds in store for them. You probably have that even more. I mean, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. I'm someone who thrives when someone tells me what to do and then I try to do it really well. And when I was getting ready to leave college, I was freaking out. I actually went through a brief bout of depression and I think it was stemming from this fear of like, I'm not going to be having people tell me where to go and what to do. I'm not going to have coaches telling me where to show up. And um, it's got to be even more scary for you as someone who, at least when you have the rhythms of a school day and classes and teachers and teammates, they know how to help you and where to go. Sounds like you came from Shawshank prison. (laughs) No, it's just, uh, you know, I'm a rule (laughs) follower and I'm a, I'm a kiss ass. So like, as long as I had teachers and coaches, yeah. Like if they tell me what to do, I'm like, I'm going to crush this. And then I was graduating. I was like, ah, no one's going to help me. What what do I do now? How do I figure out how to do this? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good, good, good. I was making sure I was making sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's my favorite movie. So you're saying I was getting out of here. I just started depression. I'm like, it sounds like Brooks. Yeah, yeah. I went. I went and found a tree. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> You're feeding the birds in the park, looking exactly for Jake. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, what was that like that, for you? Because obviously a proud moment, but maybe a little scary. No, I mean it definitely was. I mean, and is. I mean, you know, there's. I think uh, there's, you know, fear in, in the unknown with, with doing anything, and definitely for everyone who's trying to figure out what they want to do after college. I mean, fortunately I've been I'm very blessed with a great support system and you know, great, obviously opportunity to go to USC and earn that degree with loads of connections. And, um, you know, so I, I definitely, uh, you know, don't, I, you know, I still don't know exactly what's out there for me uh, in the sense of, you know, I want to do a lot of things and we'll, see, we'll just see where, where doors open up to and they, they keep opening. But, you know, obviously if, been speaking for a long time and that's something I wanted to do regardless of what I else I chose to do but you know I was very uh very blessed to kind of be partners with a couple of guys that you know we built this business together which is really cool um you know I, I want to definitely get back to playing golf I mean that's something that I, I I mentioned I love doing and will continue to do and play competitively and you know I just want to see how far I can take my golf game um you know I love sports I love football obviously and it's just something that I think would be fun to be you know, continue to be in the in the world of football if that's being an analyst or part of a office one day. I mean, who knows? But um, you know, something that definitely interests me. And so, I mean, like I said, there's there's a lot of things that I I want to continue to do, and um, we'll see we'll see in, in what order they come. But uh, I, I know that obviously I've again I've been blessed with amazing opportunities and doors keep opening and amazing people around me. So I I really think that. It's scary, yes, but um, but you know you you work hard, you have a good work ethic, and I know uh, someone's looking out for me. So you've got this company Engage. You started it with your manager and, and fellow USC student Daniel Hennis. It, it's a booking platform for talent, mostly like speakers like yourself. Um, explain to us why you are not just doing Fire Festival. It sounds very <laughs> familiar. <laughs> yeah, no, it came out. It was really funny that that documentary came out in the spring, and we're like, the first five minutes, we're like, oh my gosh, like these people have pretty much almost had their idea, and then you're like, and Job Rules our CEO, so this is scary, I know, right? And then they got sidetracked <laughs> in this loony like idea of going out there and trying to. That's where we're like, what? So, 
anyways, yeah, it's, it's almost kind of similar um, with, without all the fraudulent activity of um, <laughs> what, what Firefighter was trying to, was trying to do and, and make the whole booking process digital. I mean, it's amazing um, how when you when you just see the space and this is what we recognize as someone who Daniel was kind of being my manager and we were obviously being booked to do things and it just was kind of we were in this space and we're just like, there's got to be a better way of doing this. There's just a lot of inefficiencies and frustrations in how the booking process is. And bureaus are not the most honest or efficient at doing it. And we're just like, can we just do this? Can we just have a, a direct pipeline where people can submit their requests, know where they're going to is actually earnest and can be trusted. And we can just talk to the people, right. You know, and um, there wasn't a platform like that. So we wanted to create a platform um, that, made that a possibility, streamlined the process, again, made it very honest and transparent um, so you know everything, that, you know, who you're dealing with and what, what number is being laid out there is the number that you're actually being told and no one's taken out of your pocket that just because they, they think they know you. Um, and then also what we had a, kind of a vision of is making it more than just a speech too. You know, we talked to a lot of people, a lot of talent who – you know, giving speeches isn't their favorite, but we also talked to a lot of, you know, consumers that are just like, yeah, like having a 30-minute speech at a sales conference is fun, but, like, I want to take my sales team and do something. So it's like, okay, right. well, why don't we kind of build this experiential market? So, you know, I think we're, we're, we've done some really cool things with our talent thus far, and um, we're going to continue to do that. And we got a lot of cool, thing, cool things in the pipeline that aren't just a speech, you know, if it's uh, – it's, Rollins doing a camp and speaking to kids. It was Jessica Mendoza, you know, taking fans around the, the ballpark before you know she does her Sunday broadcast. If it's Melvin Gordon doing a uh, bowling thing, I mean, there's there's a lot of these guys have their own you know passions like everyone, and why not have people enjoy those passions with them? Yeah, that's awesome. And and you also have your out of sight faith, right? Which is a foundation uh, to give technology to uh, to kids who are blind. Are you still doing that? Yeah, yeah. I've been able to, yeah. I, I set that up, you know, for a couple of years after I went blind, just realizing how much technology is important in kind of the visually impaired and blind community and having them remain in the classroom and continue to learn and further their education past high school. And uh, so it's not cheap, and I realized that. And so, I, you know, I kind of create a foundation that, that helps uh, – Get a lot of these places technology they need to help supply these kids with, uh, with the right means to succeed. And then, um, you know, we've also done a lot of different things with, with cancer research, which has been really awesome. Uh, and then, of course, with, with a couple of things with guide dogs, because Quebec is my love. So I, uh, <laughs> I realize how much those, those guys are a blessing as well. That's awesome. Uh, well, so the last question I guess I have is, is, is what's next in terms of sports stuff? I would imagine this is your very first summer without football camp. I know you went and, and, and did some reps for charity, uh, at, at, uh, at USC before you graduated. But, um, what about sports? What's next in the sports world for you? Yeah. Well, again, you know, I'm, I'm getting back to playing competitive golf. I'll, I'll be playing the U.S. National Blank Golf Championships in September. So I'll be fun. Um, Do you have a specific yeah. caddy for that? Who you always play with? Who knows um, how? Yeah, to... my dad. My dad is, is oh, cool. my, my primary guy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just want to start playing other tournaments. I mean, you know, my my dream would just to be playing normal tournaments every day. I mean, that would be very fun. And um, so I, I know we got maybe some pro ams lined up and stuff, which could be really fun. Um, but so I mean, that's that's kind of like one part of the sports world. Again, the other part is, you know, continuing just to be like I said around the football. Um, football world. I mean, I think it'd be very fun to be kind of like some type of, you know, TV personality or analyst one day with uh, in college football or the NFL. I think that'd be really, really fun. So, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well, before I let you go, you have to do the one thing that everybody does and nobody expects. Didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Number one, what's your desert island album? You can only have one. My Desert Island album. Okay, yeah, you're so stuck only there. One, you only get one, one for the rest of your life. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> probably, uh, if you're reading this, is Too Late by Drake. Wow, okay. All right. Number two, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Uh, probably stubbornness. <laughs> Number three, what would you consider your biggest failure? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Um 
I've, I've had a lot. I've, I've failed a ton out on, uh, on the football field and the golf courses. I, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, I don't know if I can point to one, but just, I mean, playing, especially golf, like my freshman and sophomore year of high school, it was, it was, it could get pretty ugly out there sometimes. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I'd say, I mean, I just comprise all those up there and all the times I've failed out there. Yeah. Uh, number four, have you ever been in a fist fight? Um, never, never been in a, in a fist fight. I mean, I've, I've been in a couple of tussles, but I, I've never uh, thrown necessarily a punch or received a full on punch. No. Number five, if you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Oh, um, man, that's tough. Oh, gosh, that is a great question. It would not be a little dicky. Uh, <laughs> uh, I probably would want to be prime Tiger Woods. Ooh, nice. That's a pretty good one. Uh, on yeah. the golf course or everything? <laughs> uh, everything. I mean, like, that guy. Why not? <laughs> uh, that guy from just how good at golf he is, it'd be fun just to, like, be able to play the game like he did and, you know, still does it, you know. Um, occasionally. But yeah. occasionally, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, but, no, I mean, like, I, I just don't think there's, like, I mean, Jordan and probably, you know, Muhammad Ali maybe, like, I mean, those guys, like, were on the top of the world and, like, were known by everyone. I, I still think Tiger probably was, like, at his prime, like, was – I don't think a, a single man has ever experienced like that much fame or like notoriety ever in his life. I mean, it's crazy. Number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? <laughs> the most embarrassed I've ever been. Uh, it's hard to embarrass me. I, like I said, I just kind of laugh it off, but I don't know. I, you know, you, uh, you get turned down by girls out in public. It's, it's, it's a, it can be pretty <laughs> embarrassing. So, I'll, I'll merge that with the, my biggest fails in life sometimes, you know, the ones <laughs> that get away. Uh, number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Gosh, uh, I don't know. I just always, you know, trying to have compassion for people and, you know, really take a step back and kind of put yourself in them shoes. And I think, you know, that for someone like me who, like, I don't know, I, I have such a, as you can kind of tell, like a a determined attitude to, like, you know, I expect myself to get over challenges and I want people to get over their challenges so bad because I know they can. And sometimes I can just get frustrated when people don't like it's, and I think definitely kind of just having that compassion, like, yes, I, you know, there's, there's definitely, you know, everyone's not the same and everyone deals with challenges differently. And so just kind of having, you know, a bigger heart. Yeah. Give people time to find it in their own time. Uh, number eight, if you could be commissioner of life for a day, what one rule would you enforce that all of society would have to adhere to? <laughs> That's a lot of power. I don't I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I don't want to get food every time I come out on stage. Uh, <laughs> That's true. If Twitter couldn't be accessed for a day, we might, we might all lose our minds, but it might be good for us. I'm not sure. That is a good point. Yeah, just just take it away for a day. Let everybody cool yeah. off for a little bit. Come back with with a bit more positivity. Yeah. Uh, number nine. What's the most scared you've ever been? Um, the most scared I've ever been. I mean, like, I mean, it pretty much was when I was told I was going to go blind. I mean, I think that was probably the most most scared I've ever been. Yeah, I could see that. Obviously. Um, <laughs> number ten. What three words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Passionate resilient and um, probably, I mean, I, w- I would hope fun. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I want to be known as a fun guy. Yeah. Um, the bonus listener question, who would play you in a movie of your life? I'm not good with actor and actresses. I, I will say Greg Olson. He looks like me a little bit. He does uh, the hair yeah, and the last name, yeah, of we'll, course. We'll say yeah, Greg could- Olson. I could see him transitioning into into uh, into movies. I could see that. Um, and yeah. finally, who should I have on this podcast? Who's interesting that I should talk to? I am going to go ahead and have you had have you had Shaquem Griffin on? I haven't. That would be a great one. Yeah, let's do Shaquem yeah. Griffin. And I haven't had Pete Carroll either. I should try for him as well. He'd be yeah, a good one. Yeah, I'm you sure. Be Pete Carroll as well. Um, awesome. Thanks so much. This was really fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, Eric. That's what she said. 
be sure to check out another great podcast in the Levitard and Friends podcast network, Marty Smith's America. Download and subscribe to Marty Smith's America on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's what she said. It's time once again for South Bitch Sessions, where I rant about something that bothers me and I fix it. And I'd like to thank listener Evan Flay, who reminded me that I have not yet bitched about something deeply upsetting. This week, mispronounced words. Across. Frustrating. Especially. These are not words. Across? Are you confusing across with crossed? As in he walked across the street right where a chicken had previously crossed? Otherwise, what are you doing there? There's no T in across. And frustrating? Why? Especially? I remember Jay Cutler used to say that several times in interview back in the day, and it made me want to pull my hair out to the point that I actually messaged his manager, and I said, please tell Jay the word is especially, not ek, especially. And I know there's a C in there, but there's also a C in scissors, and we don't say skizzers, do we? Some of you probably do, but you're also probably the people who say muscles instead of muscles because you think it's hilarious. Ek, especially. Ugh, one day if I snap, it's probably going to be about this. Ah, did you catch that? Probably. Also not okay. Also not a word. I'll allow it if you're doing it for effect, like go on a date with you. Probably not. But people use it for real. It's probably. Just sound it out, folks. And don't get me started on supposedly, which is technically a word. It's basically a synonym for conceivable or as may be conceived or imagined. But it's most certainly not the word supposedly which means allegedly or seemingly. And all of you who say supposedly are definitely not saying it on purpose. You're just mispronouncing supposedly. So stop it. If you're going to say words that don't exist in the English language, then say some super cool foreign words. Let me offer a couple examples. There's a word that I'm totally going to mispronounce. Something like backpfeifengushnit, which refers to a face that is asking to be slapped or punched which is back to Jay Cutler, right? Which is way cooler word than just saying he has a punchable face. Or the word kumerspeck, which translates literally to grief bacon and refers to weight gain that you have when you're sad, which is probably the most amazing word I've ever heard. Grief bacon. Say that. Say that word instead of these other words that exist that you're completely messing up. All right. I feel good about what we accomplished today. Especially across frustrating scissors, muscles, probably, supposedly, Coomer Speck. There, I fixed it. Hey, if you like this show, you might like my nightly radio show, Spain and Company, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern, weeknights on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. If you can't catch it live, make sure you subscribe to at Spain and Company on Twitter, and you can listen to select segments posted every night. This week's Listener Dilemma comes from at Sir Conks, Guy Conky on Twitter, and he said, what if I root for my two favorite teams, but they're in the same division, the Lions and the Bears? Now, I know what most of you are thinking, that I'm going to completely rip this guy a new one, because how could you like the Lions and the Bears? Well, first, how could you like the Lions in general, right? (laughs) Setting yourself up for disappointment. But that being said, I actually have personal experience with this. And I like to call some teams and some players my side piece or my side team. And unfortunately for this Chicago girl who loves all things Chicago, my favorite player in the NFL right now is Aaron Rodgers. And he plays for the Green Bay Packers. That's not allowed. That kind of atrocity will get me run out of Soldier Field. But I can't help it. He's funny. He's smart. He's interesting. He's nice. And he's a fantastic football player. So I just call him my side piece. And I'm always going to root for the Bears over Aaron Rodgers. But I like seeing him succeed. Same goes for the Milwaukee Bucks. Now they're a whole side piece of a team. My Bulls should basically be relegated to the G League at this point. They're not even competitive enough to be considered an NBA team. So why should I have to suffer through an entire NBA season with no one to root for when I could root for Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks? Now I realize, again, a Wisconsin team. What am I doing here? But there's not really a rivalry between the Bulls and the Bucks, so it's fine. And anyone who argues with me, you decide what you want to do with your fandom. I'll decide what I want to do with mine. But Guy, at Sir Conks, the key to all of this is that one must be your favorite. 
Because if they go head-to-head, you cannot have this BS, I just want to see a good game. No one actually wants that. That's what they say when they don't want to take a stand and have an opinion. So Lions or Bears, whichever it is, I think you know what the right answer is, but whichever it is, that one has to be your favorite and the other one can be your side piece. Okay? Good. I fixed it. If you have a dilemma for the commission to fix, tweet it to me, at Sarah Spain, or go to the iTunes or podcast app, subscribe, rate, and review, and leave the dilemma in your review. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. Well, that's what she said. 